Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Oh, that's good. You sound good today. And as you see, we're starting this new series, Truish. Does the Bible really say that? We're going to look at what the Word of God says, because how many's noticed there's a lot of stuff going on in our nation? Come on, how many says there's a lot of stuff going on in our nation? And the thought is, what is up with that? What is taking place? We look at our world, and it really does seem chaotic, and, well, it is. People have a lot of questions, and we're going to look at the thought here today is this, and people are asking questions, well, well, what on earth am I here for? Why am I on planet Earth? What's going on? And today we're going to look at uh, this thought, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you are sincere. Just believe. you got to believe. How many's ever heard that before? Yeah, we've heard that. And uh, we're going to look at some other thoughts over the next few weeks, you know. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone, and God won't give you more than you can handle. That's a good one there, isn't it? Well, I'm going to tell you, he will. <laughs> yes, he will. Yes, he will. God wants you to be happy. Well, we're going to look at that one also. But it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. And so people ask, well, what is the truth? What is the true religion? And so as we get started, I want us to first look at the Bible. The Bible. You see, we believe the Bible is verbally inspired Word of God. I believe, we believe the Bible is absolutely true. Can somebody say amen to that? The scriptures, both old and new, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant, that's what it says, or the New Covenant are verbally inspired of God, and they're the revelation of God to man. They are infallible and authoritative. They're a rule of faith and conduct. And I'm going to encourage you to take some notes today. You need to write down, where does that come from? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 1. The Bible was written over a 1,500-year period by 40 different men inspired of the Holy Spirit. There are 66 books in the Bible, 39 Old Covenant, 27 New Covenant. And we see a 400-year gap between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. What is that? 400 years of silence. What does that mean? It's called the silent years where God absolutely was not speaking to mankind. He was silent and he was quiet. He didn't say anything to mankind. The goal of reading the Bible is just not to know the Bible, but the goal is to know the God of the Bible, the author of the Bible. You need to read the Word. Tell your neighbor, read the Word. You see, this Word is God's Word, and His words are life, life-giving. If you need some life today, if you need some insight today, if you need refreshing today, empowering today, encouragement today, the Word of God. Amen? Right there. Words of life. There's a lot of negative words out there, depressing words out there. A couple weeks ago, and I didn't say this because I felt like I've said it a lot, I was talking about our words and encouraging one another. There's the power of life and death in our words. There's power right here. I can speak death and discouragement and negativity, or I can speak the very life of God, which is right here in the Word of God. God's Word is powerful. So, how many Americans have what we call a biblical worldview? That is, how many Americans believe the Bible is true, authoritative, and applicable? Uh, it applies. I knew I was going to do that. Applicable, applicable, applicable. I even practiced that in the bathroom in front of the mirror. Because I just knew that was going to be a problem for me. I spoke it. See, I shouldn't have spoken. Applicable. Applicable. Yeah. All right. I'm done. <laughs> to everyday life. To everyday life. 
You see, every area of life. And so, how many Americans have a biblical worldview? Well, we might guess 50% or 40%. At least maybe 25% Americans have a biblical worldview. Well, the latest Barna research, and George Barna has done this for many years, that, that he just researches trends and beliefs and thoughts and, and patterns and, and what's happening in, in society and the culture and Christianity. This is what he found out recently. Out of 100 Americans, six people have a biblical worldview. Six percent of 100 Americans have a biblical worldview, even though 51 percent claim to have a biblical worldview. They think reincarnation is possible. They think that Jesus is not the only way of salvation. 41 percent believe the Bible the Koran and the Book of Mormon express the same divine truths. Millennials identify in great numbers as Christians, but 61%, but only 2% hold a biblical worldview. Among teenagers, 40% claim no religious affiliation whatsoever, and on and on it goes. 45% of those who claim to be Christians believe all religions are equally valid. Wow. How many's played that block game of Jenga? You build the Jenga tile tower? Yeah. And you pull one block out, another block out, and, and after a while you see you've pulled out where you don't have a foundation any longer, and the whole tower collapses. You see, we have a foundation. It's Jesus Christ and His Word, the Word of God. And the only place you can build your life is on the Word of God. Without that, your life is going to collapse and fall apart. And so this morning, here's the question I'm asking. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. You see, He broke the 400 years of silence between God and mankind. God spoke in His clearest way he sent his only begotten son jesus christ amen in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and by him all things were made nothing was made that was not made by him jesus christ the living word of god hallelujah John chapter 1. In John chapter 3, verse 16, we see, And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. Jesus came to be your personal Savior this morning. Hallelujah. He wants a relationship with you today. So here's the big idea. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is truth today. So let's stand together, if you would, this morning. Let's make our confession. Let's take the Word of God. That is our faith of rule and conduct. You see, I want us to have a biblical worldview. The biblical worldview directs everything that I do in life. It directs my marriage. It directs me as a father and a grandfather. It directs me what I do in every day of life. A biblical worldview directs my morals, my decisions, my choices. A biblical worldview, and I'm going to say this, will direct the way I vote in America. If I have a biblical worldview today, America needs Jesus Christ. America needs the church of Jesus Christ, to be the church of Jesus Christ today. And I want to, is anything, if anything is a pastor, to equip you to be the church of Jesus Christ no matter what takes place. You are dedicated, sold out, committed, standing on the solid rock of God's Word that you are a man and woman of Jesus Christ today. Amen. 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 So let's say it together. This is my Bible. This is the Word of God. 
I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. When I read and hear the word, faith comes to my spirit. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God, and it will change my life. I'll never be the same again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You sound great today. Hallelujah. What a day to know Jesus Christ. A day of chaos, confusion, disturbance, and it's an opportunity for you and me. It's an opportunity for Morning Star Fellowship this morning. So, doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in your pursuit of God. It sounds good. That sounds good, doesn't it? Kind of makes you feel good thinking that our God is so big and so kind and loving. It doesn't really matter as long as you believe you are sincere. You know, you're a good person, be a good person. So you're good, you should be okay with God. You're not an axe murderer. You're probably better than, you know, the person next to you. So you're okay with God. You know, I've done, over the years, many funerals. Someone passes away, and, and a lot of times the loved one will say something like this. Well, he wasn't much of a churchgoer. He wasn't a religious person, but he's in a better place now, and he's looking down on us. i got to be honest with you. There's a few times during the day I don't want mom and dad looking down on me, okay? I'm just a little uncomfortable with that, you know? But we say things kind of like that. You know, people can talk about higher powers and being spiritual and that religion is necessary and it's good and we can give credit to God for achievements in life. But it gets a little interesting and, and a little controversial when you begin to bring up Jesus, the real Jesus. Almost no one debates the existence of Jesus, that, that he was a real person and people love his teaching. You know the good stuff where help the poor and love others and be generous and forgive those who hurt you. But people might get a little upset with this exclusive claim, and this is point number one. Consider the ministry of Jesus. We're in John chapter 14, verse 6. He met with his disciples before he went to the cross. For the very first time, they had taken communion. He instituted the Lord's Supper, showing them that he was going to be the sacrificial lamb, and he was going to die on a cross, and his blood was going to be shed to wash away our sin, and his body was going to be broken, that we could be whole again. And, and Lord, we don't understand, and we don't know what's taking place, and what way to go, and how. And he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me. This exclusive claim of, of Jesus Christ. There it is. There it is. You know, that sets Jesus apart from all other world religions, this exclusive claim. If you want to know God the Father, if you want to have salvation, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to go to heaven, it's only through Jesus Christ, and he has the right to make that claim. We consider that. How many have a cell phone? How many have a number that goes with that cell phone? Ten digits. Ten digits. If you want to talk to me, if you want to get a hold of me, if you want to text me, what do you need to do? Call my number. That number reaches me. I have ten digits. My wife has a cell phone number. Exact same cell phone number except one digit difference. It's handy, isn't it? But if you call her number, you're going to get her. You're not going to get me. Even though it's close, I have 10 digits to this number, the cell number. You could have those right numbers, but have them all mixed up in different places, and you still won't get me 
on the cell phone. How many understand where I'm going with this? Only one number gets a hold of me. Well, I, I like all numbers working. I like various ways and various methods. And that's good. You can like what you like, but there's only one number that works if you want to talk to me. There's only one that works. There's only one that is the way of salvation, and his name is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We look at some other religions. There's some good in them, elements of truth in some of those. Buddhism has no God. They have no type of final existence. They believe in countless rebirths over and over again, reborn, reborn, and they focus on achieving enlightenment, the state of nirvana, a perfect place of peace and wisdom, and that eventually might end that cycle. Hinduism, karma, the universal law of cause and effect, reincarnation, the cycle of life, they have maybe millions of gods and idols. Islam. Now, this is a touch, touchy subject today. The Muslims and people may not like to hear this. They worship Allah, a personal God, they believe. They ban idols, no secondary gods. But here's what I want to say. The truth is this. Allah is not their name for our God of the Bible. And their God is Satan himself. That's where we need to wake up and realize that. I'm not calling every person that worships Allah evil. I'm not calling all of them are mass murderers, but they're falling, following a false religion that is leading them far, far away from the truth that Jesus Christ is our Savior and our Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Islam is a mix of Judaism, Christianity, and the demonic, and it's all based on works. And I, I could go a lot more into that, but then we have the New Age. No personal God. It's higher consciousness, one with the cosmos, the universe. So I'm asking you, I'm, peaking, I'm speaking today, hopefully, to someone that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. You're not born again. I'm not asking you to consider our church. Not at all. But if you want to come here, that's great. I'm not asking you to consider a Christian denomination. I'm not asking you to even consider me or those who call themselves Christians. I'm asking you to consider Jesus Christ. Look at the next scripture, why Jesus came. Mark chapter 2. Have you noticed, that's why you need to read the Word of God. There are people, they got upset with Jesus at times. Have you noticed he ticked people off? He upset people. They got angry with him. And here's another case right here. Here's another case. And so, but when, Mark chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, but when the teachers of religious law, who were the Pharisees, and I want to add here, they were the religious leaders who added to God's word 600 plus rules and regulations, making it very difficult to know God and live for God. When they saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners to repentance. The religious people, the so-called good people, would have nothing to do with, you know, those people, those people in that culture, the sinners and the tax collectors. And, you know, some of you may not realize the tax collectors were, were Jewish men and they were hated by the Jews because they worked for the Roman government. And not only did they collect exorbitant taxes, they took shares for themselves. They stole from their own people. They were hated. They were outcasts. They didn't really have a chance with God. They were rejected. The sinners and the tax collectors couldn't get near the synagogue. They couldn't get near the temple. They weren't getting close to the Holy of Holies. The only thing that, you see, the thing is the Holy One came to them. Jesus Christ, the Holy of Holies, shows up because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He's willing that none should perish, no, not one. 
And I want to say, Jesus knows right where you are this morning. Aren't you thankful for that? He knows right where you're at today. Nothing is going to keep him away from you. There's not one barrier, not wall that he won't break down to get to you. You may have erected barriers this morning. It could be a barrier of education, of intellect. It could be a barrier of fear, of apprehension. It could be a barrier uh, of your past, of what you've done, and the guilt, and the shame. It could be a barrier of rejection. But I want to tell you, people, Jesus came for people just like you and me who just couldn't get it right on their own. We needed Jesus. Amen? Amen. Jesus, those whom... Others despised and rejected. He loved. He reached out to. This is what the church is all about. Amen? Amen. They're all about. Man, you may have everything. You need Jesus. You may have nothing. You need Jesus. It doesn't matter. We all need Jesus. Hallelujah. So consider the ministry of Jesus and who he was and what he did. You look at that. That's what they were looking at. He healed lepers. He opened blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He caused the mute to speak. Jesus fed the 5,000. When you add the men, uh, the women with the men and the children, 15,000 probably. Jesus turned the water and the wine and the Baptists and the Assembly of God. People have a problem with that today. And, but, you know, some, some shit will laugh to that, some of you right there. <laughs> yeah, he turned the water and the wine, not grape juice. It was the good stuff. Why did you save the good stuff for last? I'm saying our God works miracles, amen? And he raised the dead. He's not about to run out of miracles anytime soon, like the song says. Our God is a miracle-working God. So here's the crazy part. Critics didn't question Jesus' miracles. They just wanted him to stop the miracles. Stop doing what you're doing. Don't do it anymore. Stop it, Jesus. Why do you think they wanted him to stop the miracles? I think miracles is good. Amen? The miracles were actually proof of who Jesus is. They validated that Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin. He performed signs and wonders and miracles. He's a miracle worker, and he's the same today. Our God is a miracle worker. And when do miracles happen? When you think nothing is ever going to change and turn around and I can't seem to see daylight at the end of the tunnel, that's when a miracle takes place. How many believe that our God can work a miracle today? Amen? Amen. The criteria for a miracle. I have a problem. What do I do? I'm going to believe God. I'm going to exercise faith. Add to that equation of a problem, and I'm believing God. God shows up. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God shows up, and when God shows up, miracles take place. And the greatest miracle of all, we can talk about all these, is the miracle that you can be born again, a new man and a new woman. You can have a spiritual birth. And so I'm going to ask you right now, if you've been born again, how many miracles do we have in the house this morning? Raise your hand if you know that you're a miracle. Come on, look around. You're a miracle. You're a miracle. You're a miracle. And some of you aren't sure. And so at the end of the service, I want to give you an opportunity that you can become part of this miracle. Come on, let's praise the Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're new this morning, and you're getting newer every day. Amen? Every day. Consider the death and resurrection of Jesus. You need to know. And you need to understand and really understand. And we say it sometimes so casually. Jesus, he really does love you. He's in the details. He's greatly concerned about you. He wants to live in your life and he wants to walk with you each and every day. He wants to take away your hurt. He wants to take away your apprehensions. 
He wants to give you his peace and his presence and his power. He's not going to make anything perfect, but the thing is the perfect one will walk through life with you. He absolutely cares about you. And when he shows up, your life really does change. We say things, we mean it. The word of God says you are made by God and for God. He has a purpose and a plan. And it starts with knowing him personally. You see, he was born of a virgin because he did not inherit a sin nature from an earthly father. Our Savior is perfect in all of his ways, sinless in all of his ways. That's why that gives him the right to be the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He is perfect that he was absolutely able to go to the cross and take your sin and my sin, the perfect, pure, spotless, acceptable sacrifice of God once and for all. See, Jesus loves you, but, and we say it, he hates sin because sin messes us up. Sin pulls us apart and distances us far away from God. Sin will confuse us. Sin will control us. Sin will manipulate us. Sin will hurt us. And, and I say it, he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. So Jesus took your punishment, my punishment on the cross. And when creation was mocking him, when they were hurling insults at him, at the creator of the world, when they'd done their worst of the worst that they could do to Jesus, and they beat him where he was unrecognizable, and they drove stakes through his wrist and through his feet and hung him on the cross, the most cruel instrument of torture. Jesus looked to God the Father, and he cries out and declares in John chapter 19, verse 30, he says, it is finished. Say it with me. It is finished. Say it again. It is finished. The earth went dark and the lights were out and everything began to shake and tremble. Even the unbelieving Roman soldier standing there says, this is the Son of God. And with no time for Jesus' followers to prepare his body because of the Sabbath and Passover, they took his body down. He went into a borrowed tomb of a wealthy follower of Jesus, the rich man's tomb. They placed him in this tomb. They rolled the stone in front of the tomb into place. The guards were on duty, and all hope was lost. The hope of the world was dead. It was over. It was finished. His followers watched him suffer and die. The one, the miracle worker, the one who spoke truth, the one who raised the dead, he was dead. It was over, finished. But three days later, say it with me, three days later. Luke 24 says, on the first day of the week, the women, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to the tomb. Why'd they go there? They're, they're thinking, we didn't get to prepare his body. It's not proper. It's not a proper Jewish burial. We need to prepare his body. I don't know what they were thinking. There's guards. There's a stone rolled in place. But they, they were compelled. We have to do it. They weren't in their, I would say, right frame of mind. They were overcome with discouragement. They were distraught. I, I would say they were in despair and discouraged and depressed and downcast. But they show up at Jesus' tomb. And what do they find? Two angels there. And he says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen just as he said. The miracle worker. Hallelujah. He's alive. He's alive. Immediately hope was restored. Jesus is alive. Hope is alive. It tells us the disciples witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. They saw him alive. Peter preached, and we see it in Acts chapter 3, verse 15. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, and now we are witnesses of the fact. He's alive. How many people here today believe that Jesus is alive? Amen? That's why we're here this morning. Witnesses. Yes, there were eyewitnesses giving testimony that Jesus rose 
from the dead. And all the critics want to have all these reasons why it's not possible. God does things, we say, the Bible, in mysterious ways. If he wanted to give this credibility, God went about it the wrong way. And since he went about it the wrong way, humanly speaking, that gives it credibility. Because the first ones to experience eyewitnesses of the resurrection were women. Yay, women! Come on, women, let me hear from you today. Woo! They preached, Jesus is alive! That didn't work in the first century. Women were at the lowest rung of society. Women would not even be able to go to court and be credible witnesses in court. They were not allowed. You can't trust the women. So if God really was in this, and according to them, he said, I want you to know the truth, he wouldn't have used women. But that's how God does things. He's going to confound the wise. The disciples saw that he was alive. The women saw that he was alive. Over 500 at one time saw that he was alive. The first century secular historian, Josephus, who was not a believer, wrote to the very fact Jesus rose from the dead. It's historical fact and truth. Critics and skeptics try to say, well, the Roman soldiers stole the body. Scripture tells us they were paid off. But the enemies of Christ would have loved to have produced a dead body, but they couldn't produce a dead body because he is alive. Amen? The tomb is empty. There's no body. Others would say the disciples took the body. Can you imagine these 11 men who were so intimidated and afraid? They came up against soldiers, qualified, equipped soldiers, because they believed a lie? They want to put forth a lie. All of them, all of them, the rest of the lies went out through the whole world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. All but one died a martyr. They tried to kill John, who was the youngest of the disciples. They boiled him in water. They tried to stone him and put him to death. They couldn't do it. They banished him to a rock quarry on the island of Patmos. That's where he received the revelation of the resurrected Savior, the book of Revelation for us today. And he died an old man, even the one who doubted. We all know his name, Doubting. Doubting. Yeah, he believed. He saw the resurrected Savior. He went to India with the gospel preached. Hundreds, thousands were saved in India. But finally, they had enough of him. And so those who did not believe, they ran him through with spears, and he became a martyr. Are you going to tell me these 11 unqualified, uneducated guys? No. They saw Jesus. We are witnesses, so don't consider Christians, don't consider churches, don't consider me. I'm going to tell you, we're Morning Star Fellowship, amen? Yeah, we got t-shirts, it's great. <laughs> Go advertise, invite people to church. But what I'm saying is imperfect people, but we're following a perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave his life for you, he rose from the dead for you, and he loves you. Here's the last point. Consider the eternal message of Jesus. You see, sin separates us from a holy God. Every one of you here this morning have a problem. You know it, I know it. It's sin. We all have this sin problem. Sin. What's the problem in our country? I, I could go off right here a little ways. I could say quite a few things. I'm just going to... The problem in our country is sin. The problem in our government is sin. We don't have ethnicity problem. We don't have a color problem. We don't have a problem with those who have and those who have not. We have a sin problem in our nation. Our nation needs to know the real Jesus Christ today. See, my prayer and my hope is that here in Quakertown, Pinsburg, and other churches that claim the Word of God and claim that Jesus Christ is Savior, that we'll rise up like we've never risen up before. We'll stand strong and we'll stand firm and we will speak loud and we will speak truth and we will be loving, but we're going to proclaim and show and live out who Jesus really is in this nation. 
I honestly believe we have an opportunity. It's not a problem. It may be challenging, but God has given us an opportunity. And I believe we are going to rise to the occasion because we have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. God's in the details. Amen? He knew when you would be born. He knew when you would live. He knew what would happen when we made our decision to follow Jesus Christ. When I got saved years ago, when I was a young man, college age, called into the ministry, God knew I'd face this day in this world and God is calling us to reclaim the truth without compromise Jesus Christ is Lord hallelujah he's Lord amen amen so we have a sin problem Romans 3 22 we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter how many times that we've done it over and over again. How many can relate to that? Don't miss this. We were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said you must be born again, a spiritual birth. How many's had a physical birth? Some of you aren't sure about that. Just like you had a, spirit, a physical birth, you need a spiritual birth. That's what it means to be born again. How does it begin to take place? Romans 10, 9, and 10. Now, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, religion is all about me. It's about how I perform. It's what I do. It's am I good enough? Religion is a lot of things you have to do. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. I've already crossed the line some places today probably. Religion is a lot of doo-doo. I'm going to tell you that right now. That's what it is. A lot of do-do. Do, do. Jesus came to show us the love of God, the mercy of God, and the justice of God. Jesus is all about a relationship with God. Jesus is about done. It is finished. See, it's this. Christianity is Christ plus nothing. Nothing. It is finished. Say it again with me. It is finished. It's done, settled, once and for all. So here's the action step for today. It does matter what you believe. Do you believe in Jesus? And if not, why not start today? I'm going to close with this story. And you think, well, really, how does that fit? It's 1102. We have time. Tell your neighbor we have time. It's a true story. I want you to see that God is in the details when it looks like there's so much out there that he could not be. When you think what's going on in my life, he's there. He cares about this world, and he cares about you personally. My God isn't finished yet, amen? Oh, we, we haven't seen anything yet. When we get excited, we read the Word of God, we read about the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, I want you to know, we're getting ready to step into a miracle day as the church on planet Earth. We haven't seen anything yet. So here's the story, true story. Teresa got excited about this, my wife, uh, recently. And then I had a reminder that we heard this story in person about 12 years ago at a conference. She's, she's laughing at that. Yeah. I'm glad she forgets some things. I tell her about our great trip to Hawaii that we had. and every, no, no, we've never been to Hawaii. <laughs> hundred years ago, 1921, David and Siva Flood, they, with their two-year-old son, left Sweden. They felt called and burdened in their heart to go to Africa as missionaries, the Belgian Congo. 
They met up with another missionary young couple there from Sweden, and, and they made their plans where they were going to go exactly, and they went way out into the bush. They went to this little remote village, and, and you look at that village, and, and they met uh, the floods with the Ericsons, and they went to Norella, this little remote village, to preach the gospel. Well, they got to the village. The chief of the village would not let them come into the village. He says, you can't do that. I'm not going to offend our gods. And so they went about a half a mile from the village up the hill, the side of the mountain, and they began to build their mud huts, and they lived in their mud huts, and the chief wouldn't let them come and preach in the village. But one boy, one little boy, the chief allowed to take two chickens and eggs several times a week to them. And so he took the chickens and he took the eggs. And what do we see that Ziva Flood, this powerful, godly woman of only four feet, eight inches, began to believe, well, God, if this is the only African that I can talk to and share the gospel with, I'm going to share the gospel with this little boy. And she shared the gospel with him, and she shared the gospel with him, and she was successful, and this little boy accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior. And they, the missionaries got malaria, and they became ill. And finally, we see Ziva, you know, she already had a little boy, but she is expecting, and she's pregnant, and she gives birth, and it's a difficult pregnancy, and it's a difficult birth to a little girl. And they had this wonderful little girl, but Ziva was so weakened by previously having malaria, she only lived 17 days, and so the mother of this little girl dies. And so we have David, we have a little boy, and we have Avia, a little girl. And something snapped with the missionary David's mind and his heart. And over his wife's death, as he dug that grave and placed her in there, it snapped, and he left his calling, and he left his God, and he gave the little baby girl to someone else to take to the other missionaries, and he says, I'm going back to Sweden with this little boy. And so the missionaries take a little Aviah, and tragically, they became ill, and then they died. And here she is left all alone in Africa. And so finally, an American couple, missionaries, take her, rename her Aggie. They go back to America, and they raise her in South Dakota, and they pastor a church, a very fruitful ministry. They wouldn't go back to Africa. They're afraid she'd be taken from them with legalities. So they raised her, raised Aggie. She grows up. She, she goes to a Christian Bible college. She marries a man. He eventually becomes a president of a Bible college in Seattle, Washington. And one day, as they're there and they're ministering and she's been on with life, she's reading. She don't know how someone gave this to her. It's a Scandinavian Christian magazine about gospel and missions. And she's turning the pages and she sees a picture from the Belgian Congo in Africa. Now it's Zaire and there's a cross and there's a mother's name there, Ziva Flood. She immediately goes to someone, a professor who speaks the language, and asks him, what is this about? Tell me what's going on. And he says, it's a synopsis of all the missions work in Africa, what's taking place in Africa. And she finds out. She finds out that that one little boy that her mother talked to and led to Jesus had gone on and allowed he was allowed by the chief to build a school. He led classmates. He led children to Jesus. They led their parents to Jesus. That village now had 600 believers following Jesus Christ. She's at a meeting, her and her husband. And... Uh, let me back up. Their 25th wedding anniversary. Their Christian friends in the college sends them on their 25th wedding anniversary, sends them to Sweden. 
and she's going to look up her birth father and her half-brothers and sisters. And she had made contact with them ahead of time. She meets them. They, they, they have a wonderful meeting that she meets family she'd never known. And she says, I want to go visit Papa. And, 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 and they say, he's very ill. He's an alcoholic. And he's probably going to die soon. And, and go see him. He, 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 he's going to be so thrilled. But whatever you do, do not mention the name God or Jesus. He'll fly into a rage. She goes to see him. He knows who she is. And he weeps. They embrace and cry. He's lying there in his rumpled bed. He's a hopeless alcoholic. He's sick. He's diseased. And he's crying. He can't believe it. And he says, I never wanted to give you away. I didn't mean to give you. I just knew I couldn't care for you. And they have a wonderful reconciliation and time together. And she says, it's okay, Papa. God is good. And God took care of me. And, God... and with that, he turned just like that and turned his face away from her. He didn't want to hear God's name. But she loved him and ministered to him. And after several hours, he began to weep in the presence of God and gave his life back to Jesus Christ. Her visit was over. They came back to America. Several weeks later, he passes away, praise God. He goes into eternity to see Jesus Christ. Several years later, they go to a conference, an evangelism conference. Thousands are there. There's an African man standing and preaching at this evangelism conference, worldwide conference. And he's preaching, and he's the superintendent of the Assemblies of God in Zaire, of the thousands and thousands that are following Jesus Christ and how many churches there are in Zaire, which used to be the Belgian Congo. Afterwards, she says, I have to talk with him. Interpreter does the mediation. He says, yes, I was the little boy. Your mother led to Jesus Christ. And he tells her, because your mother sowed a seed into my life. Unless a seed goes in the ground and dies, it cannot produce a harvest. Your mother's death was not in vain. Because of seemingly fruitless ministry, seemingly, thousands and thousands came to Jesus Christ. I said all that to say this. God is in the details. He's in the details of your life. He's in the details of your journey. He's in the details of where you are right now. He's in the details of this nation. Our God loves America. He doesn't hate America. Our founding fathers based this nation and its laws and principles on the Word of God. They recognized they could not have a government. They recognized there could not be just laws without the Word of God. Imperfect men, some of them born again, some of them Christians, some of them not, some of them would never become, some of them were on a journey to become over their life. I'm so thankful you don't look at my life 30, 40, Years ago, I'm so thankful I've been on a journey. I'm not the man I used to be. Amen? We can't view them through 21st century lenses and judge them. But what I'm saying today is this. God is not giving up on America. We can't give up on America. Let's pray. Let's live. Let's be salt. Let's be light. Let's do good. Let's make a difference in this nation. Amen. Can you tell I love America? It's not the great evil in the world. Even though we're doing some evil right now. But our God is a God of change. And He wants to change your life and my life. And I believe He wants to come and bring a change to America if we will believe God for a miracle. I'm believing God for a miracle. Amen?
How many's going to believe with me right now? Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. If you're here this morning, I've said it several times, consider Jesus, consider Jesus, consider Jesus. You see, he considered you when he hung on that cross. He knew your name. He knew all about you. He knew what you would do, what you would not do. And he gave his life for you. Consider Jesus this morning. If you don't know him personally, if you don't know him the way you think you should know him, if you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior, here is your opportunity right now. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. You want to be born again. You want a spiritual birth. He's here right now. I'm going to take this moment. I'm going to ask you, consider Jesus. If you want Jesus, raise your hand for me right now and say, I need to be born again. I need a spiritual birth. I need to know him. We do this every week. And I look around and most every week there's hands or several hands. I'm looking right now. I don't see a hand, but I don't want to miss you. I see a hand in the back. There's a pillar there, but I see a hand straight up. Somebody, praise God, there's somebody right there. Praise God. I'm going to ask if you're part of the the prayer team, come and stand here. If you're believing, if you're going to pray this prayer, we're going to pray together with this person. There's a card in the seat. You can fill that out and say, this is what I'm doing today, and take it to the desk there in the lobby and We want to help you follow Christ. And before that, let us pray with you. But if you have a need today, a need, we believe, and we add God to equation, God's going to begin to move in your life today. So I saw the one hand, and I'm going to ask this. Let's pray together. This person's coming in the family of God. This person's life's turning all around and changing right now. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. For your plan, for your love, for your tenacity. And right now, I believe that Jesus Christ is your only begotten Son. Right now, I believe that He's the Savior. And right now, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me. Take away my sin. Come into my life. Make me new. From this day forward, I want to follow you. I want to know. And I want to do what you called me to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.